0: Are you ready to roll? I'm ready. Harry, I appreciate you doing this, my friend. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? More importantly, how was the dentist? I thought you were going to cancel on me. You had the dentist appointment. Is everything okay?
1: Uh, yeah, cracked tooth, but
0: other than that, I'm all right. First time you saw someone reading your book, where were you? In public, and did you approach that person? This book or any book? Any book. The first time you're out somewhere in public and you see someone reading your book. Um... I was driving past a high
1: school in Denver, and there was a woman, uh, I was, it was kind of a lane going by, and there was a woman under a tree reading a hard copy of In Broad Daylight. She, it, was, it, was a, it was a student, and um, I kind of kept on going. I didn't want to interrupt her. So you never approached them? I did not approach her. Now, I did approach one. when I was at the wall. They had taken the wall down in East Germany, and uh, there was a woman sitting in a coffee shop about 20 yards away, and she was reading a paper vacuum in Broadway, I did ask her what she thought about it.
0: And what'd she say?
1: Oh, she loved it. It was ah. great.
0: <laughs> you mentioned you're in Denver now. I know you're a Colorado guy, but you're born and raised in Nebraska. What food you miss from back home? Probably really, 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 well, runza. It, oh, that's runza. the Hot Pocket with ground beef and cabbage and stuff, Right. right? Exactly. exactly. And you and you guys have Kool-Aid pie. I never had that though.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of weird stuff in Nebraska.
0: <laughs> We're going to talk about your awesome books, but I'm wondering, you're in Colorado like I said, are you a Coach Prime and Buffalo fan or are you still a Nebraska football guy?
1: Oh, Big Red all the way, you know. It got so bad, it got so bad last year. <laughs> uh my antagonism toward Prime that we cared more about Nebraska. Uh, we cared more about Colorado losing than the basketball
0: <laughs> Well, you guys have, um, there's promising things coming. You guys have the number one recruit coming in, the quarterback yeah. kid. That's right. Real quick, favorite or best Nebraskan football player of all time?
1: Eric Crouch.
0: Over Tommy Frazier. Uh,
1: I know, I know. I'm in, I'm in, a, I'm in the minority.
0: <laughs> Wikipedia and the internet never lies, Harry. So... You're a lawyer, trial attorney, professor. I saw a picture of you as a correction officer. Am I missing anything else? No, that's about it. That's about it. Weren't you appointed uh, by President Carter to be like the head of the Peace Corps or something? There was something you did with the Peace Corps. Did you get to travel anywhere cool? Traveling is my biggest obsession. Have you traveled anywhere cool?
1: Uh, I traveled uh, four or five countries in Africa, and the director of the Peace Corps was a I had, I had been his attorney when he was uh, treasurer of the state of Colorado. So we were kind of close and I, I went on uh, trips that he needed a specific, he needed the inside straight scoop on. So I kind of traveled quite a bit and it was on a diplomatic passport,
0: which is fun. That is not too shabby. Uh, <laughs> while being a trial attorney in your whole life, did you always know you wanted to write a book and was true crime always the genre you wanted to do?
1: yes yes to both of those um i i I think you know i as you know from the book uh, i had a rough rough childhood and uh i think in college somewhere i got attracted to the idea of expressing that conflict and the difficulty and seeing the world through that lens Um, i wrote a short story in college and that was it but i always thought um that I wanted to try right. And I mean, you know, so many people do that. Uh, it finally reached a point when I saw this uh, article about Ken McElroy, the bully being shot to death on the main street of town. I finally said, look, this is it. You either do this or quit telling yourself you're going to do it. You can live a more honest life.
0: So it, I did it. It's funny you said that. I was in the library two weeks ago and I see the title Starkweather. And I'm like, oh, Harry McLean, that name sounds familiar. Why is it familiar? So I go, go on the Goodreads app and I'm like, wow, he wrote In Broad Daylight, which I read a few years ago, which I absolutely loved. Let me ask you, you're a New York Times best selling author. How do they notify you that you won the award? Is that a phone call? Is it a letter in the mail? How do you get notified? Me, won the Edgar? You won the Edgar, you won the Edgar and you're a New York Times best selling author also.
1: Um, you know, the New York, it was my editor. He okay. picked it up. Uh, New York Times, back in those days, they, um, there was a radio number. I mean, there was a telephone number that you could dial, and it would run through the list of New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> the editor called me, and, he said, and the Edgar—I wasn't that aware of the Edgar, to tell you the truth, at the time. And, and my editor freaked out over that and called me up and said, "You know, you're—you got to come to New York. There's four books that are up for it, and you're one of them." So that's how that happened. It was pretty exciting.
0: Let's talk about your newest book, Starkweather: The Untold Story of the Killing Spree That Changed America. You did something so unique with this book and you did it with In in Broad Daylight. I never want to give away too much of the book, but you start off the book by nailing the crime. You're like, hey, Charlie Stocker with his girlfriend, I won't call her an accomplice or anything, uh, killed 11 people. That's your strategy. Obviously, it works. What's your rationale with that? Like telling the reader right away, hey, I'm telling you right now, this dude killed 11 people. Now sit back and listen to me tell the story. Well...
1: Yeah, it's uh, it was kind of difficult to walk, you know, to to accuse Charlie of the crimes and also raise deal with the question of Carol's innocence or or guilt because she was with him. And so you basically what I did was uh, well, my editor called me and said, look, you've got to put the reader in the car in the scene with the with Charlie and Carol. And just tell it, you know, you can't do this kind of back and forth sort of thing. So I said, well, the problem is that there's two versions to every killing. There's Charlie's version and there's Carol's version. And uh, I can't go, I can't do an an analysis, say, well, Charlie says this, Carol says this. That's going to be really boring. So I thought, why don't I try and um, have two versions of each killing, one by Charlie and one by Carol? And he said, I think that might work. And I tried it with for the first four or five murders, and it, and it seemed to work. So that opens the question right away uh, of, of uh, her guilt or innocence, uh, which, which I wanted to do. And it shows the complexity of the situation, too, because the facts are so detailed and so in conflict.
0: Charlie Raymond Starkweather, American serial killer, spree killer, for eight or nine days in 1958, terrorizing Nebraska, surrounding states. Did you always know that you wanted to write about this case? Um, you know, I – well, first of all, let me say I'm
1: from Nebraska, mm-hmm. as you mentioned earlier, and I lived in Lincoln. And my brother went to school with Charlie, and we lived not too far from some of the victims, and I knew some of the victims, so – I had that personal involvement in the story, and I had kind of witnessed it, but I was away at prep school when it happened, and then I went away to college, so I uh, wasn't as wrapped up in it as some people would, But but uh, I stayed away from it. I, I kind of walked up to it every now and then over the years as I wrote more true crime books, and i take a look at it, and i go, oh, I don't know, man, this is going to be rough, because you're going to have to relive your own childhood uh, and, and it's, it's going to be rough, and you're going to get into it, and you're going to have to go back to Lincoln and all that stuff. And then when the pardon came up, for part, Carol uh, requested a pardon in 2019. In 2020, 2018, 2020, it came down and it had been denied. And I thought, now that's, that's something that no one has really looked at. In any depth, uh, so I went and I read all the books. They're not impressive. Yeah, uh, they're either they either come from one angle or another, like a defense attorney. Um, uh, not, none of them go at it full length. What actually happened here? Give me the facts of who did what, when they did it, how they did it, and just lay the thing out from A through Z, and don't let your own biases affect the way you tell the story so that's the way i came at it and that when i framed it that way i felt like it was an original way to come to the story and that it was going to have value because it had never been done before
0: you said you read all the books about it and stuff when you write a book about any subject are you all consuming or are you afraid that your mind might be warped by something else are you reading every book about this case watching every documentary do you completely engross yourself in the book, in uh, your subjects I did,
1: yeah. I mean, you. Well, I, I did with with one exception. Um, I, I read them all, watched Badlands, the movie that was made out of it, listened to Bruce Springsteen's album called <laughs> Nebraska, and uh, read. You know, Stephen King was inspired by this killing, all that sort of stuff, and and the books that were out on it. A lot of them just repeated what was said in previous books. Yeah. So there was very little independent research done, in um, this one. I did. There was a Showtime series that came out in the, in the middle of me writing this,
0: and I stayed away from it. Because, oh, the 12th, the 12th Victim, right? I didn't watch yeah, it yet, yeah.
1: I, I, I still haven't watched it. I didn't want to get involved in trying to rebut what they were saying. Uh, I felt it, it was, maybe I was a little oversensitive. I thought it, it could contaminate what I'm trying to do here by even listening to what they were saying. Um, so I didn't didn't reach it. But other than that, yeah, everything I could find on it.
0: We mentioned his girlfriend, uh, Carol Ann Fugate. Uh, in American law, she's either a victim, a 14-year-old girl who was held hostage by this serial killer, spree killer, or the Bonnie to Bonnie and Clyde. Going into it, did you have a preconception about what you thought her involvement was? I didn't,
1: actually, uh, because I was so impressed by how everybody else convicted her. Yeah. <laughs> uh in in the newspaper articles and the books they just said it as if it were true and if, with the legal training you keep saying well what what do you base that on and once you start looking into that it's pretty shaky what they're basing it on and so i i mean it, actually the book would have worked either way mm-hmm. for me i didn't say this book's going to work if i proclaim her innocent if i could have if the facts had led me the other way, I would have gone down that trail and been just – just it would have been just as good a book, I think.
0: When you go back to tackle this book, you have to go back to Lincoln, Nebraska. In New York, we have a million crimes, Son of Sam, Bernie Getz. So it's kind of like whatever. This case was huge there. Going back, what's the reception like there? Is it still talked about? Is it still a big thing out there?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's in, in Nebraska, it's Big Red and, and uh, Charlie Starkweather.
0: Wow. Uh, uh,
1: And you know the later you can if you went on the campus now you'd find a lot of people that hadn't heard of Charlie, but it gets passed down. It has an intergenerational impact on people, particularly people whose family were there when it happened. They've either heard it or maybe they were eight or nine years old, or their mother told them about it. It's part of the kind of the collective consciousness of the state, and and it, it always will be because it was. It, you had those people, like guess, and so forth, but um, the trauma to Nebraska and to the country, really, because this, this didn't happen before, not in the modern age, where somebody went out and murdered 11 people without a real reason. That It was this kind of random shooting. I'm, I'm going to shoot people, and I don't really care if I know them or not or have a grudge against them or, or, or whatever. And it happened just when television hit. Uh, just when national television got big and so it got covered like no other crime in this country had ever been covered because you're bringing charlie stark over there into your into your dining room when you're watching when you're watching tv and eating your meal there's charlie right there in living color with you walking out of the prison in chains or and that 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 sort of you know images you know the power of images i mean that that changed the whole Character of the way he was covered and the impact he had on the
0: culture, and you know it doesn't hurt that there's a fourteen-year-old girl involved too. That this is like, oh my God, this is a a sex scene, a love scene. Is so many things that made this the perfect storm. That's absolutely
1: that's absolutely right. It's I mean, if it had been Charlie alone, it would have been covered, but that piece of this fourteen-year-old girl, Charlie's nineteen, and she has a, a rough edge to her she's kind of cute but she's got a roughness to her too which makes her kind of more interesting and the two of them and charlie just if you just do a headshot of them looks like james dean yeah so here's james here's james dean and holly hunter i don't know who it would be uh roman roman nebraska and wyoming killing people what a, what a great story
0: Going back to write this book, so many of the main characters, are deceased, uh people who remembered it, uh places aren't there anymore, they're, you know, overgrown trees and this. Is that a big hurdle for you to go back and like you want to go back, something happened twenty years ago, where everyone remembers it. This is a little longer, maybe people don't remember it, memory's not as good. Was that a big hurdle?
1: It it was. I mean, it's uh it's not as easy. I mean, I would have loved to have talked to the police chief and to the district attorney. Why did they make these decisions and so forth? But um, it was so thoroughly covered, um, and the the Lincoln Star, Lincoln Journal Star, ran an article when I was just getting started on it, and they said if anybody has any memory, any documents about Charlie or Carol, Harry McLean would love to hear from you. So that did a big piece of the investigation I got, and I'm still getting stuff from people with stories about Charlie, but yeah and and there was a lot of evidence missing which was a which was something that was quite difficult to deal with too the criminal justice system every aspect of it including retention of, of evidence was pretty primitive in 1958
0: right in the book at the end of the book you include yourself did you ever want to include yourself more in the book because you're kind of a big piece of the book like you described nebraska in the 50s um uh, the sand hills which you're going to make me want to go there you said how beautiful they are so you described Nebraska in the 50s, then it loses its, its innocence. And you only like put yourself in the book a little bit. Did you ever want to put yourself in the book more? You were such a big part of the story by doing the research on it. I, I thought about
1: it early on and I, I remembered a couple of true crime books I had read a while ago where the reader, where the author put themselves into the story. And to me, it broke the, it, it, it broke the flow. Okay. I should say broke or, or you know, ruined it. And I wanted to say, get out of this story. Tell it. And, you know, tell me later what your involvement was. So I decided to write an epilogue that would tell the story of my history in Nebraska and my history writing. It. And I think, I think it was a good decision, actually.
0: It's weird when you're reading the book because true crime people, you want to read about Charles Manson and Ted Bundy and Charlie Starkweather. You want to read them, but the victims are so important there. How much could you put a lot of emphasis on the victims and – really humanizing them and victimizing them and being, letting them know like, hey, these were real people, a two-year-old girl, um, the high school couple. Is it difficult to not want to put too much about the victims in there because most people deranged want to read just about the serial killer? Um, yeah, it, it was a decision
1: that I made actually um, that, that, that I was going to try and bring the victims alive, not, not only to make the reader feel the pain of the crime itself, uh so it's not some like objective newspaper article description of them if you really want to dress i'm a i am mean you know remember in cold blood the way he walked mm-hmm. you through the farmhouse looking at everybody in there and how they were mutilated and shot and all that sort of stuff that was powerful stuff it made you feel weird but it made you there in the scene and i kind of wanted to do it that way plus charlie and carol have been mythologized and they've been romanticized by books and movies. And I wanted to do away with that myth and say, look, here are the people that died and the people that were that were related to the victims who have lived with this trauma for their whole life. I want you to realize this is what happened. You know,
0: I'm, I'm glad you brought up the victims because how's Carol? Listen, obviously, we know Charlie's he's garbage. Obviously, he was killed. Carol I don't want to say it's split 50-50, but how did the victims feel about the book? Like, what was the reception of them? Are they, hey, I'm glad you brought this to light that maybe she wasn't involved? Or are they like, what are you doing, Harry? You know she was part of this.
1: Well, the victims um, are now relatives, usually like children or nieces and nephews of the people that were killed. And I know that uh, at the pardon hearing, there were representatives of both sides. Uh, there and they gave interviews, and I expected to hear more from them, particularly at the signings in Lincoln and Omaha. I haven't gotten much of a of a kickback um, from the relatives of the victims. I, I think it, it's it makes them be analytical about it rather than rather than emotional. There was this need, what I call a need to convict Carol. It was there in the criminal justice system. It was there in the media. It was there in everything that was written. It was in the, I mean, it was there in the culture of Nebraska. Carol was going to pay. I mean, it's a long, It's if you've read the book, mm-hmm. I can't really unravel why that's the case, but I spent some time at it. They, uh, you know, Carol was going down and there's just no way about it. If they didn't get her on this case, they were going to get them on others. So this is the first voice uh, in a book form that has said, "Really, maybe she's not." And I haven't gotten any. Um, there are people who write and say, uh, "Look, she did it. You know, there's no question about it." I don't know why you're, you know, sticking
0: for it, but nothing hostile. I'll say that it, it's wild because the people I brought up the case to, I'm like, "Oh, have you ever heard?" I was like, "Yeah, of course." He's in the Billy Joel stalling, you know, stalking about the homicides. And they're oh, like, Billy "Oh yeah, Jill. yeah." yeah. Like, "Oh yeah, him and his girlfriend killed everybody." killed a family. I'm like, well, like, without giving it away. And like, no, no, she was home. And the whole mystery lies there. Was she home when Charlie killed her stepfather, her mother, and her two-year-old daughter, her uh, two-year-old sister, or was she not? So that's the whole story. Because if she was there, then her whole story is nonsense and she wasn't a hostage. If she wasn't there, she truly believed. So you had the reader going, like, wanting to know everything, you know, till the end. Like, that's why I love so much about it. You didn't just give... The trial aspect of it, because the book could have ended right there. Trial, she went to jail, convicted. You gave afterwards about it. How was it when you went into the nursing home? Because I got chills thinking about that when you saw her, when you met her.
1: Well, I mean, it was the. There's an interesting story behind it. I couldn't find her. Nobody knew where she was. Her lawyer didn't know, or if they knew, they wouldn't tell me. Uh, And her friends didn't know where she was. They knew she was in a nursing home. Her husband. She got married later on. sons didn't know where she was, or that's what they said. And i have kind to of, say, well, you know, what do I need, really? I know she's had a stroke. I know she's not in very good shape. What am I going to get? And I'm not going to cross-examine. <laughs> you know, did you really not see this, that sort of stuff? So what am I really missing? But I still knew in the back of my head, look, I've spent two years on this, on this woman, and you need to see her. You need okay. to get a feel for her, all that kind of sensory thing that you get, and uh, and I couldn't get to it. And finally, I get a phone call one day. Says, "Here's where she is," and I go, oh. <laughs> "I mean, it was just one of those moments that wow. books and invest, you know, and research so exciting." So I had my wife call up the <laughs> nursing home, knowing that women are buying people are by and large nicer to women than they are men in situations like that. Yeah, but, yeah, she's she's there, and she's down this, you know. So I hopped the plane the next day and flew out there and got a car and drove a couple hundred miles to where she was. I got there about five. And uh, I keep thinking, they know who she is, even though she's got a different last name. Okay. And they've been warned to not let people in that don't have some sort of legitimate reason, like a doctor or a shrink. And I just go through gate after gate, you know, desk after desk, signing all these COVID things and pretty soon they said, "Well, she's down here. Just turn right." And uh, so I get to the desk and turn right, and a nurse starts to come with me. And I go, I kind of want to go. Ah, that's, all right. that's all right. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. So we get to the door, and I, I walk in, and just right inside the doorway is this uh, woman, tiny, tiny woman in a in a wheelchair. Carol was five foot when she stood straight, and about. Oh, 98 pounds during the trial anyway. So it was teeny to start with. But this person was barely there. It was like a waif and bright blue eyes. Uh, and I said, are you Carol? She said, yeah. She gave me this smile. And uh, so it went on from there. I had a spent about an hour with her. And uh, then they figured out who I was and they kicked me out.
0: <laughs> I love that you got the boot. Uh, did she know... Or did she ever ask, I know she passed away at the end of it, to read the book or ask what your real opinion was or no? Um
1: Well, she's still alive.
0: Okay. Oh, and, I know that. Okay.
1: Yeah, she's, as far as I know. no, I, I send her birthday cards and so forth, but I have not tried to get in touch with her. Um She... I expected to run into a lot of hostility because mm-hmm. everything that's been written about her is that she's guilty, and she—I know she's very hostile, particularly to anybody from Nebraska. So I kind of left that aside. What I was doing there, and I had some pictures of her family that I didn't think she'd ever seen, and I got from her lawyer who said you can give them to her. So I kind of gave her those, and we kind of talked about them a little bit, um, and and kind of she never wanted to know what I thought.
0: Did you ever send her a book?
1: I haven't, and my wife thinks I ought to go up there and give it to her. Yeah, why not? Uh, you know, why not? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I will do it. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, when when does the author become part of the story? Um, and I became part of the story by going up there and having an interchange with it. But uh, I think it's a good idea, and I think I probably will. I, I just getting the right sense for it and i probably have to call her guardians because now they know who i am yeah
0: yeah of course yeah yeah. the cat's out of the bag
1: and get get their their
0: permission so let me back a a little bit with with the book harry going back did anything surprise you because i'll tell you two things that really stood out to me did the cops really mess up the investigation with the gas station killing Could all of this have been prevented and the detectives that went to carol's house it's like you see a, sh- a sort off shotgun. You see zip ties and blood. Shouldn't there have been a manhunt right away initially? It seems like some stuff was bungled a little bit. Am I wrong with that or no?
1: No, you're absolutely right. And the only rationale or excuse for it is law enforcement was not a scientific exercise back in 1958, particularly not in a little town. I, little Nebraska had about 128,000 people at the time. But it was a – a big, small town, and their police force was, you know, they had two patrol cars out at night patrolling the whole town, and they were not sophisticated. They were, there weren't a lot of the techniques that they have now, too, but, you know, they didn't, they didn't rope off crime scenes. There were maybe three or four murders a year, and it was usually a domestic violence or or. uh, dispute between a neighbor and so forth. So they really weren't used to complicated crime scenes. But having said that, yeah, they screwed it up. They screwed it up twice. And in both cases, one clearly would have stopped it. Uh, And the other one might well have stopped it, depending on how things went.
0: So I answered my own question to you, but what surprised you the most with the book while writing it? Like, holy crap, I didn't know that. Well, that's one of them. I Mm -hmm. mean,
1: if you read everything that's ever been written, no one ever ever focuses on the mistakes that the police made and then plays out what would have happened had they asked this question that the one instance uh, at the gas station killing um, there was an individual robert robert mcclung who who was the attendant there and charlie used to come out to the gas station and sleep in his car and he asked mcclung to uh, wake him up in the morning because he had to go to work so he told the cops after the killing, about this, he said, "Yeah, he's got red hair. He's bow-legged, He's this. He's that, and everything." But I don't know his name. Had they asked him, "Do you know where he works?" He would said, "Yeah, he's a garbage man. I wake him up at four thirty because he got to go get on these brothers. No follow
0: up questions.
1: No, 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 nothing like what does he work? They would have found him literally in ten minutes. There were three garbage companies in Lincoln, and believe me, there weren't any short. Bull legged you know, red haired kid more than more than one they'd had him there's no question about had him it's awesome. what really pissed me off yeah. over it was that they turned around then and blamed McClung for not offering that information
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a ton of true crime authors on, and they obsess over a case like two or three years of their life. Everything's about the case. This was a double whammy for you, the case, and it brought you back home emotionally mentally physically how draining was this book for you um it was very exhausting and very
1: exhilarating at the same time um when i saw new stuff when i saw connections when i saw how a scene should play out often they were emotional for me because like i say i knew the victim or something like that and i was in it 24 hours a day i mean there was no there was no getting out of it for me and uh that's always true. In some case, you're thinking about it, but I might be watching watching a movie, and all of a sudden, something happened on the screen, would which, which would make me see how this was, or, you know, how, how this was going to play out. Or one time, my wife and I were walking down a mall, and she had never seen. She didn't know what bowlegged meant. She's from Turkey. I don't know what difference that makes, but, uh, and. Uh, so I said, there's a guy ahead of me." I said, look, that's, that, that's the way, that's like Charlie. He, that's oh how Charlie walked. She says, can't you ever leave it alone just when <laughs> we're walking down the mall." So <laughs> I was in it. I was in it full time, and there were moments of great satisfaction, exhilaration, and moments of exhaustion. And some of the killings were so rough uh, for me to write about. Um, that they left me. And actually, Carol, too. You know, Mm -hmm. she's a tragedy. However you uh, decide her culpability, she's only 14 years old. And she's a tragedy upon a tragedy upon a tragedy. And those things hit me much harder than they have in books in the past. No
0: question about it. Do you have a writing schedule every morning? You do it every afternoon? Make sure you write an hour a day or is it whatever comes to you?
1: Uh no. It's and I get asked that by people who wanna write no, it's like six to one in the morning, six AM to one PM. That's the writing and the rest of the time you can research or edit or whatever. But it's very you have to be disciplined about it. If you wait till you feel like it, you won't do it. Or if you I mean, I don't care if you're hungover, yeah. I don't care if you're sick. You sit down at that goddamn computer at six and you sit there until one o'clock in the afternoon. You don't go anywhere, you don't take a bath, you sit there and stare at that computer until it's time for you to leave.
0: Do you have a ritual or celebration when you hit send for the final time? You finally finish the final draft. I'm submitting the book, enter. Obviously it's, oh my God, I'm done. The book's done. Any ritual celebrations or anything? No, not really. It's enough just kind of sensing
1: and I'm sure we go out to dinner something. But you also have a long process after that, which is which is the editing process. And so you, you, you get a break, for sure, but uh, to a moment to kind of celebrate it. But then you know you're in for fixing it and making it. And if there's any negotiations with the editors or you got to go get photographs and approve covers and so forth. So, so the process isn't over, but the real intense creative process is over. And I think you just, you know, go for a walk and go for a swim and try and feel the satisfaction.
0: Juggling a book like this where the trial is very important with the book too. Are you ever worried or is it a difficult thing for you to hurdle all over? Like, okay, I'm telling about the killings, which listen, that's juicy to everybody. Now it's a trial aspect of it. You're a lawyer, so you can talk trial lingo forever. Are you ever worried or you have to like dumb it down to the layman? Like, oh, I don't want to put too much trial stuff in here. Do you ever have to – you juggle that at all or no? Yeah,
1: and the, and the issue here was – um I didn't. I wanted to explain the law to him, but I didn't want to sound like a law professor. Yeah. Because that's very boring, uh, even to other lawyers, to listen to that sort of analysis. But you couldn't really deal with the question of her guilt or innocence unless you did that sort of legal analysis. Um, at least I couldn't. And um, so, yeah, the question was being accurate. Uh, but not being over overly lawyer, because, because I know lawyers are going to read it too, and I don't want them coming at me yeah. saying, oh, you misread the Escobedo case or the Gideon Rissers-Wainwright case. So I had to kind of find that line down the middle.
0: You uh, you let it be known your stance on, on Carol. Uh, did you have any issues with some of the maybe lies she told, like, oh, me and Charlie never had sex, but then they thought she was pregnant, or she might have said, allegedly said, we took three bodies outside, that means she was there from the when the family was killing. Maybe it was like you know someone misremembered. Any uh, issues with any of the maybe fabrications or lies, or maybe she was just nervous when she told.
1: No, I, yeah, I, and, and I, I did have issues with them, uh and, and to this day. Mm-hmm. Although I said as if I were the judge in the case and these were the facts, I would not convict her. Um, there are some things that that trouble me. Um, you know the, she but she was always consistent was one thing she didn't move here and then come up with a better version of events later and if if you're judging credibility that's that's a key factor. her story never really changed ever and she when she made that the initial statement, she was sedated with very heavy drugs after she'd been captured and uh, so i think, I think there's a possibility that i 'm wrong uh, i 'll admit that the thing i can't reconcile. Is that she saw Charlie kill her little sister and stayed with him. She loved that little girl, there's no question about that. And her mother, she loved her mother. She was real close to her mother. And to to, to conclude that she witnessed that and then went with him on the other killings, it's just that that's not so much logic, it's just your instinct tells you that's not, not
0: human behavior, you know. And and the one thing that you really, because you know, as reading the book, you know, I always hear Bonnie and Clyde, she did it. So right away, I'm like, this girl's guilty. And then you know, you waver back and forth, <laughs> and then you set up the best part. You're like, Charlie had this crazy temper. So you're saying he went to her house, got into a fight with the dad, left, pulled out of work, went and sat back outside for two hours and waited with his temper, with a gun in the house. Logically, it's like that doesn't seem like he thought about that. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Yeah. His temper could have been really, I'm going to relax for three hours and think about this. That's the part that kind of wavered me on the side that uh, maybe yeah. she really was innocent. Well, that's good because that's, that was critical to me because, as you said, if she's at
1: the house, when those murders happen, the story goes one way. If mm-hmm. she wasn't, it goes another way. And the one thing, just to clarify a little bit or fill it out, was she didn't, she, didn't, she didn't get home from school until about 4 o'clock. And they had Charlie calling her father's work at two and saying he wasn't going to come to work. So if you were going to say that he hadn't yet killed him when he made that phone call, that's absurd. Charlie's not going to worry about his employers coming to the house and then sitting around and wait two hours to... Kill him. I mean, he, he, he was explosive, you know, and he hated the father. And the father kicked him out by his own language, kicked him out the front door with a boot in his ass. And, and, and so, yeah, he, he went back in and, and blew him away a good two hours before Carol showed up. That's my take. It.
0: And also, Carol acts in some people like, are oh, my parents still alive? At the age of 14, I don't think she's thinking about her defense that this, this person yeah. is going to take the stand. So that always, let I me, mean, let me ask just one. In Broad Daylight was, uh it was optioned for movie and stuff. How about this book? I know stuff has been done about it. Any interest? There is interest.
1: Um, oh, nice. Congratulations. You know, gotten, as a matter of fact, I've got two conversations this week with people that are interested in producing or writing it. But I, you know, there was a movie made of In Broad Daylight by the same name. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you, you learned that. that Never to take anything seriously until yeah. they're, you know, until they got because they'll say, "Oh, we got, you know, we got um, Brian Dan He signed up to play McElroy, and 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 we've got this writer, and we've got the funds over, and they don't have anything. They just go around and tell this person they've got this person, they tell this person, you know, so it's just all it's L.A. people bullshitting each other." Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: I have, like I said, a lot of true crime authors on, a lot of athletes on. I'm always curious what the study looks like. Like um, Harold Schechter, the true crime author, comes on all the time. And his study is dark with uh, all memorabilia around the room and old books. How about you? What does your study look like when you – how do you get in the zone?
1: It, It looks more like a lawyer's office. Okay. I have to say, but, but when I wrote a lot of the book, uh, where I really got it underway, we, I rented a, uh, house on a little Island in the Aegean, a a Greek Island. And it was halfway up the hill on the Harbor. And we were there for a month and that's where there's always a transition from researching into writing it. Although you keep researching it as you write it, Mm -hmm. there comes a moment where you have to say, what's the voice? How am I going to tell the story? What's the first word? And that's always for me. It can be extremely difficult. This one wasn't difficult, but so I just went off and with my wife, and we lived on this island for a month and got it and got it underway, and that was gorgeous. I'm looking right out over the harbor and
0: the Oof, That's awesome. Now,
1: now, 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 when I was in Florida, yeah, my office there was a dark little, <laughs> a dark little nest. You know, I, I remember once. Um, I don't think this is in the book, but. Um, I remember once I was probably two thirds of the way through it and uh, it was, I came out at one o'clock and my wife is walking down the hallway toward me and she stops and she says, I want you to go into the bathroom and look in the mirror and take a look at yourself. That's how, that's the impact of that. That was about eight months into writing it. Oof. And, I, you know, I, I, I decided not to take a look at myself, <laughs> but I knew what she was saying.
0: When you write a book about this, I know you're reading everything, Charlie Stock, whether or that. Do you read anything else? Are you reading a light book? Do you occupy your mind with reading different books? I don't read anything, actually. Um, maybe, you know, maybe
1: something that, that comes my way, but um, I, I don't want it, to, it's not so much defensive as it is, I'm all the way into this, and I don't want to hear someone else's voice come in there. There's always the risk that you're going to, mimic somebody you know that, that 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 i would mimic try try to mimic you can't do it but i, I don't i was worried about that in the beginning now it's just like no i want to be in my images my words and then i'll read this stuff later
0: how important is it going back lincoln's different because that's your hometown to go to skidmore missouri and california to write your books to where the crimes or incident happened how important is that to you
1: um Place is incredibly important. I, I love place. Uh, it, it, it gives you the setting to develop the character, the setting to develop the narrative. You can, if you're good, if, it, if the place is important and you're good at describing it, that's how you start to put the reader there in the book. Here's, here's the place. It's like, i tell you what made it to me would be to go, go to New York City or some, uh, some New Jersey town. And, and try and write it so the guy in Lincoln, Nebraska could, could put himself there. Um, and it, I, I I love it. And only one book was place not important, and that's the California story. That that could have happened anywhere. Mm-hmm. The other places where it happened is important.
0: Are you ready to finish up with some quick hit questions? Sure. Favorite show to binge watch? 2 a.m., you can't sleep. Favorite show to binge watch?
1: Oh, God, I haven't done it in, 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 in a while. I, I suppose um, the Fargo stuff, they come up with something new every year. I've enjoyed that quite a bit.
0: Any memorabilia from your writings? Do you keep anything, any cool pieces of memorabilia that you own?
1: Uh, from from In Broad Daylight, you know, just just to set it up, uh, he was shot to death on the main street of town in front of mm-hmm. 60 witnesses. He sat in front of a bar. In his uh, Silverado pickup. And the bullets, a whole series of the bullets, uh, went either through the car window, the truck window, or went by it. And they ended up tearing up a shed, uh, throwing about 15 holes in the shed, not about, about 20 yards away. And I got that piece of metal. Uh, and uh, I still have that. That's <laughs> and, and, and actually, there's a great deal, deal of debate as to where that is. Um, but I've I've got that, and um, that's about it. That's about the only thing I have that I that I can think of. Uh, I did go. Uh, this really isn't uh, answer to your question, but I felt like in the Starkweather story, I really wanted to see the guns. Charlie was fascinated with guns. Guns and uh, guns and cars were the big thing mm-hmm. to him. And I found the guns. They were in a museum, hidden away. And I went and got permission to see them. And it was really one of the strange. I mean, that's kind of how off, off center course I was in the middle of this. There's no reason. A twenty-two is a twenty-two. You yeah. Know? A sawed-off shotgun. You can get pictures of those. What do you need to pick them up and hold them for? You know. But I was that far into it that Oof. I just did whatever I felt like doing because I didn't have anybody up there saying, why are you doing this? You know, I was following that instinct, really. And I went in there and I picked him up. Oh, this is the one that shot uh, the farmer. This is the one that, you know, this is the one that uh, shot Lauer Ward,
0: killed wow. Lauer Ward and,
1: and, and held him up and kind of aimed him. And so it was really a bizarre experience. But. It's kind of an example of, of how far I was into it.
0: Yeah, how engrossed really, you become. Oh, my God. Yeah, I really
1: wanted to do that. It just wasn't going to be a complete experience until I could pick those rifles up.
0: All right, a couple more. What book are you reading right now?
1: Uh, let's see. What book am I reading right now? I'm going back, and I'm reading an old book. Okay. Um, hold on a second. Okay. I'm reading – I'm just a little confused about the – author's name, but I'm reading Black Dahlia. Oh, okay, okay. By James Elroy. And uh, yeah, that's a fascinating, and I've read it years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the whole case with that is fascinating. Yeah. I, I mean, everybody confesses to it. No? Yeah. <laughs> All right, three more. How about this? You and I are at a bar here in New York City. Who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them or called them, they would pick up for you? actually you need know, to name drop right now. Anyone cool? They would do what? They'd write back to you. Who's the coolest person in your phone? Uh, Coolest? You mean like... uh, You want to impress people.
1: Powerful people? Oh, um, let's see. How about the ghost of Truman Capote? You call right now. A text will pick up for you? Yeah. Yeah, he would. Because I got got compared to him in a Washington Post um, (laughs) review. I said my writing is uh, rivals Truman Capote's in cold ah. blood. So I feel like I've got it. That gives me yeah. a
0: <laughs> two more. How about one sporting event in history you wish you could have witnessed live front row seat to any sporting event in history? Um, okay. This might sound a little offbeat, but, you know, Abe, Abe
1: Lincoln was a great wrestler. Oh,
0: People I never heard that I, in my life. OK.
1: And he 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 took on four guys. I can't think of They were bullies. Uh, all from the same family. He took them all on at the same time and he was tall,
0: wiry and strong and he whipped them all. So you'd be front row seat to watch A Blink and kick some ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, I know there's an audio uh, version of your books. Do you do the audio or does someone else? Um, someone
1: else does it. I had the chance. They asked me if I wanted to do it and I said no and they said, do you have somebody who did do it Who who you would like to recommend and the audio version of Inbroad Daylights is real good, but not any better than the one they had suggested. So
0: I think uh, – it, did you listen to it? I did not. No, no. I only read the regular ones. But I'm always curious because I know some people say it's a long and strenuous thing. You're in the studio making sure every word's pronounced correctly, and it gets uh, it gets old pretty quickly. That's why I was curious if you did it. Well, this guy did
1: screw up. Like you could tell he wasn't from the Midwest. The uh, <laughs> people from Nebraska have, have reminded me of this as a town called <laughs> – carney uh, carney nebraska he was named after a civil war general and what? he pronounced it he, he pronounced
0: it Kearney. <laughs> oh yeah they're not gonna like that no they're not harry the book is stark weather the untold story of the killing spree that changed america this was an absolute blast and knowing that you wrote in broad daylight and this this was an honor so pleasure doing this hope you enjoyed it man so thank you so much for coming on let me
1: just say that I've enjoyed this interview, too. I've done a bunch of podcasts. This has been far and away the most interesting and the most fun.
0: I appreciate so that, my for friend. I will. And we'll keep me. in touch, okay? Okay, thanks. See you later, brother. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?